Funding for this podcast comes from MathWorks, creators of MATLAB and Simulink software, accelerating the pace of engineering and science. Learn more at MathWorks.com. Hi, everybody. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty, and this is The Jackpod, where on-point news analyst Jack Beatty helps us connect history, literature, and politics in his unique way that brings clarity to the world we live in now. Hello there, Jack. Hello, Meghna. We've arrived at episode 18, so what's your headline? I'm quoting, not the odds, but the stakes. Uh, not the odds, but the stakes. So what do you mean by that? Well, I'm quoting Jay Rosen, the media critic at uh, New York University, and that's his apothem for, that journalists should follow. Don't pay attention to the odds uh, in your commentary, but look at the stakes. So in this week, when everything is about the odds, is Trump ahead in the polls? Is Nikki going to catch him in South Carolina? What's the Lots of talk about the odds, uh, but we want to turn to the stakes and the stakes uh, could not be higher. I think Dick Cheney does not uh, understate, because he's not known for understatement, when he says that in our national history, there has never been an individual who's a greater threat to the republic than Donald Trump. That warning uh, is borne out in Trump's own words and in analyses in a new report called The Authoritarian Playbook for 2025, put out by a group called United to Protect Democracy. They look like lawyers and former staffers, many of them conservatives. And they have put out this 90-odd this, uh, page uh, uh, booklet going through three realms, really, of, um, of Trump possibility. His promises— his po the powers as a president he has and the plans that he has to implement through those powers, those promises. The new element, and they don't make as much of it as they should, but the new element here are, are the plans, is the plans. Uh, Trump uh, is not a man known for planning, but offstage, there are groups planning for him. The Heritage Foundation has a massive uh, program for him. Other groups founded with money that he has, uh, he has got from his supporters are coming up with their own plans to implement some of his wild-sounding uh, uh, promises. And, you know, the plans— it, it, it really reminds me of a D.H. Lawrence quote about uh, the crew of the Pequod, the ship that's mm. pursuing Moby Dick. He says that it's a, an emblem of America, quote, a maniac captain of the soul with three eminently practical mates. Well, all over Washington right now, there are eminently practical mates who are coming up with plans to, to equip the maniac captain of the soul who's leading them, Trump, uh, with uh, the wherewithal to carry through his promises. Mm. Now, the other thing, Jack, that uh, you've noted that this new uh, authoritarian playbook 2025, what it describes— um, is not only the plans to basically reshape the United States government around the singular figure of, of Donald Trump, essentially making uh, the government into an authoritarian government run by Trump, but that 
perhaps unlike 2016 when Trump definitely said whatever came to mind, or even in 2020, this time around, he's Trump is more unfettered, if one can imagine that, but he's more unfettered in saying specifically the types of things he would do that are classic authoritarian moves, okay? And I know there's several in this uh, in this playbook that you wanted to, to go over. So shall we talk about the first one, Jack? By all means. Okay, so that was, that one is dishing out pardons to lawbreakers, especially people loyal to the leader. So again, Trump's own words, here he is uh, in a rally in Texas, January 30th, way back in 2022. If I run and if I win, we will treat those people from January 6th fairly. We will treat them fairly. And if it requires pardons, we will give them pardons because they are being treated so unfairly. Now, of course, the people from January 6th he's mentioning are those who have been arrested, uh, indicted and put on and are being put on trial by the federal government for uh, attacking Congress. Uh, tell me, Jack, what is the language there that's so emblematic of an authoritarian? He is signaling that there is no law you can break that I will not pardon you for. Uh, and by the way, we did hear his attorney in, a, in that case before the D.C. Circuit Court answered the question, I think, I forget which judge asked him, but basically she asked him, well, are you saying that under your, under President Trump's idea of the presidency, he could order the assassination of an opponent and he couldn't be prosecuted for that if he had not been uh, impeached beforehand? And uh, the, the answer was, yes, the president can order someone killed. And if he hasn't been impeached beforehand, you can't prosecute him. So essentially, that's the kind of thing that when you when you say I have this power to pardon people, it's a green light to criminality. He's saying he's saying these people tried to these 12. There are now 1200 of them, uh, various defendants in all 50 states. But but these people tried to overthrow the government. Boy, that's not I'm going to pardon them all. And that's a less that's a that's a promise to you folks in my administration, you go close to the line. Heck, you go over the line. I'm going to I'm going to pardon you. Mm, I'm going to pardon you because you were acting on my behalf to keep me in power. Right. I mean, that that's that's the thing. The pardons will come to Trump loyalists no matter what it sounds like he's saying, no matter what they do. Well, pretty much. And it's just that it's not to advance the national interest or, you know, something like it is precisely to advance his interests. And he will have him. He will be surrounded by people who are uh, essentially vetted in advance mm. to follow through on his wishes. He does plan to purge the civil servants service. Uh, we saw that was adumbrated in the last days of his administration, where he talk, he talked about you know, essentially firing fifty thousand people and hiring uh, Trump hacks. Well, we're going to have lots of Trump hacks who are going to be trying to please him and who will be willing to go that extra step, maybe use a little more violence, maybe lie a little more, maybe hide documents, whatever it is, knowing that if they're caught and if they're prosecuted and even found guilty, 
he'll pardon. Mm. And just want to note that, Jack, what you're describing, of course, is not um, imaginary. It's not theoretical. This is, uh, just to put a finer point under what you said, this is exactly part of the plan that the Heritage Foundation is, has put out there. They're not hiding it, that they they have a wish to purge the federal civil service and uh, put um, essentially Trump loyalists in the place of those career servants of the United States government. Okay. So the second part of the uh, authoritarian's playbook, which um, we can now hear Trump saying out loud and frequently, is using the federal uh, federal law enforcement far beyond its normal bounds and also investigating rivals. So, for example, here's Donald Trump in an interview with Univision on November 20th, 2023. I happen to be president and I see somebody who's doing well and beating me very badly. I say, go down and indict them. Mostly what that would be, you know, they would be out of business. They'd be out. They'd be out of the election. Jack, I have to say that is the clearest, most concrete statement a man could make that said, just if you if you're just winning in the polls against me, I am going to indict you with the full force of the federal government. It's chilling. Yes. Now, here he's following the Heritage Foundation recommendation essentially to fold the Justice Department into the White House. They have a theory, you know, the unitary executive, the president is in charge. And the the post-Watergate norm that the Justice Department is uh, cannot communicate with the White House except in certain basic uh, formula that keeps political politics out of it, that's going to go by the board. Trump is going to use the Justice Department to investigate and and uh, and prosecute. Uh, well, who's he going to look at? He's talked about investigating, of course, Joe Biden, his former chief of staff, John Kelly, his former attorney general, William Barr, and former joint chiefs of staff, Chairman General Mark Milley. He's talked about uh, uh, turning the DOJ to investigate uh, them. And uh, this idea of essentially a, the Justice Department in with all its powers in the pocket of the president, the, the, the study, you know, the, the authoritarian ham, playbook to 2025, it concludes we'll be in a world where FBI agents are directed to open investigations, not just against people who are proposing Trump in elections, but people who have investigated him or who might hurt his businesses, anyone he can investigate. Why? Because as he says, and I'm quoting Trump, I have Article 2 powers where I have the right to do whatever I want as president. Mm. You know, Jack, to me, this sounds a lot like he can't wait to exact revenge, right? Because of what we hear frequently from very, very passionate supporters of the Trump administration is, well, you know, he... The Democrats impeached Donald Trump twice. He wasn't found guilty in either of those impeachment trials, but he was impeached. And even though it was during the Trump administration, uh, the Justice Department uh, investigated uh, connections to to Russia and misinformation from the Trump's 2016 campaign, the Mueller report, of course. Um, so here's the thing, Jack. I'm not sure that in the minds of many of, again, Trump's most passionate supporters, that they discern any difference between that and the kind of political retribution via indictment that Trump is saying he would do if president again. 
Yes, that's one of the that's one of the degradations he's visited on their understanding uh, that you know the Justice Department is not is not separate from the president. And let's face it, it is an awkward thing, isn't it, mm -hmm. to have a president uh, of one term be investigated by the Justice Department, <laughs> indicted by the Justice Department of uh, a, a, an opposing. Uh, president in, in his term. It's a very awkward thing. And it's easy for people to say, well, the Justice Department is in Joe Biden's hip pocket. Well, of course, you can't tell that to Hunter Biden, who's, <laughs> who's also been indicted by that same Justice Department and who might face as much as, what, 15 years in, in prison for his various alleged offenses. Mm. Okay. So to recap, uh, we've gone through a couple of the uh, factors in the authoritarian's play playbook. One is uh, pardoning loyalists who've broken the law. The second we've talked about is um, using federal law enforcement um, or overreach there or investigating rivals. Now, the third one, and again, um, the distinction here is that Donald Trump is clearly saying these things this time around. The third one is the domestic deployment of the United States military, uh, specifically regarding immigration and the border. So here's what Trump said at a rally in Dubuque, Iowa, September of 2023. I will shift massive portions of federal law enforcement to immigration enforcement, including parts of the DEA, ATF, FBI, and DHS, all of them you know. And I'll make clear that we must use any and all resources needed to stop the invasion, including moving thousands of troops currently stationed overseas, guarding other people's borders. We guard other people's borders, but we don't guard our own. Think of it. They say to us, what are you doing? You're guarding our They don't even want it. So, Jack, to me, it's very sly, actually, that Trump... Uh, inserts in the middle of this long passage about what he would do to protect the border, embeds in the middle of it, moving thousands of troops from overseas to the U.S. border. Your thoughts? Well, of course, there's a uh, there are various laws that say you cannot use uh, federal forces uh, to in, in, you know on, on domestic occasions, but there are ways around that. And Trump uh, and those eminently practical mates at these various think tanks are thinking them up right now. You know, the key thing here is the war on on, immig on immigration, and the key and the agency that Trump sees as his, um, as his uh, ally there is the Department of Homeland Security. When it was set up uh, following 9-11, there were objections that, first of all, the word homeland is, is a German idea, Heimat. Uh, it, it's not, you know, it, it, we've never talked about our homeland that way. Second, it had all kinds of powers that hadn't uh, hitherto been part of our of our system there are no less than 66,000 law enforcement officials in this uh, in this department that's nearly half again as many as in the Department of Justice and Trump promises to unleash these people this sort of these armies of the night if you will upon uh, immigrants who've been here uh, without papers, perhaps, perhaps for, for their whole lives. Uh, and he promises to do this 
under uh, something called the Alien Enemies Act of 1798, if you can believe it. This is the one part of the Alien and Sedition Acts, which are infamous as violations of American civil liberties in the John Adams administration. This is the, this is the, the vestige that survives in the law that allows the president to remove, quote, alien enemies to check any invasion or predatory incursion. And the act authorizes the president to arrest, detain, and remove such enemies en masse without hearing. Trump aims to do that, and he aims to put them moreover in, in detention camps, massive detention camps, on the order of the of the uh, you know the camps that uh, Japanese Americans were put in in World War II, and they will be state be be put there be, you know prior to being shipped out of the country. He promises the largest roundup of illegals, as he calls them, since uh, what what was called Operation Wetback in the Eisenhower administration, which which is still a stain on American. Uh, civil liberties because of the rights of people uh, who have rights, even if they're not citizens, were, were uh, summarily uh, trampled on. Mm. Wow. Well, Jack, I'll just add to that, um, that you said, you know, there's rules against using the U.S. military domestically, even though the president is also commander in chief. And as, as you know, but I just want to say this out loud, that one of them is the Posse Comitatus Act, which dates back to 1878, that expressly prohibits the use of the military from regular civil law enforcement. Now, we don't have enough time to talk about the actually truly fascinating history uh, of the Posse Comitatus Act, but it's another one of the examples of laws that are in place. I mean, you mentioned a couple also, which Trump is just very readily... um, either able to find workarounds or just, you know, openly saying he's willing to to just ignore them. So uh, let's move on to the fourth part of the uh, or the fourth aspect of the authoritarian's playbook that you want to um, talk about. And it actually also it relates to number three here, and that is sending U.S. troops to cities uh, in order to keep himself in power, the autocrat who will not leave. So here's an interview Trump gave with Fox News host Janine Pirro in September of 2020. And Trump said he here's what he would do if Democrats protested uh, against a potential Trump win. What are you going to do? Let's say there are there are threats. They say that they're going to threaten riots if they lose on election night, assuming we get a, a, an ele- a, a winner on election night. What are you going to do? We'll put them down very quickly How if they do, do that? that. We have the right to do that. We have the power to do that if we want. Look, it's called insurrection. We just Insur- send in and we, we do it very easy. I mean, it's very easy. I'd rather not do that because there's no reason for it. But if we had to, we'd do that and put it down within minutes, within minutes. So, Jack, to note here again, this was September of 2020, which means it was just before the November 2020 uh, election, which he eventually lost. An insurrection happened, but it was Trump supporters who on January 6th of 2021 mobbed, raided, attacked the United States Congress. So what do you hear, though, in what Trump is saying? Well, he talked about it um, in the, you know, the the panic after the election. There's a scene where, I think, in the White House, where General Flynn, or one of his 
his, uh, you know, his furiosos, the real ultras, suggested using the Insurrection Act to send the military uh, to impound the voting machines all over the country. That, that, and, and, of course, Trump was entertaining that until uh, several White House lawyers said they would have to quit if that ever happened. Or I'm sure they must have said something like that because, thank heaven, it didn't happen. The Insurrection Act goes back to 1792, and it, it gives the president the power to federalize state forces or to use federal troops to put down insurrection, domestic violence, unlawful combinations or conspiracies. Oh, there's such latitude for those eminently practical mates of this maniac captain of the soul to find loopholes and ways of, get, of using the troops. And, and the point about this is he has said he, he will even send them into cities whether or not the, uh, the governors of the states allow. Now, there seems to be some question the president can invoke the Insurrection Act himself. He doesn't have to go to Congress, but he needs the permission of the governors of the states. But he said, I, don't, I won't bother with that permission. I'll just send in the troops if I have to. And what will he send them in against? Well, we saw this in his, in, in, in his administration where he, he, he used the, the National Guard from uh, 11 different states to come to the district and clear Lafayette Park, mm. clear the park with tear gas. Uh, he, you, you, and that was all, of course, so he could walk across Lafayette Park and pose in front of that church with a Bible, an object he's rarely handled, you can be sure. Uh, so, so he's already given a kind of preview of this. And how did he do that, bringing the troops? A loophole. There was a Something in the in the law that said, well, you can do this if you're using the the, the national guard to um, to train with uh, with federal forces. So he had a few federal forces uh, mixed in there with the national guard. There's been a rehearsal for it. We've heard him talk about the Insurrection Act. It is on the books. It does give these the president these really uh, frightening powers. And he has said that he would even uh, invoke it on election day or, or inauguration day if Democrats protest uh, violently. Mm. Okay, so here's the fifth one, and that is basically the desire to never leave office or, in this case, having a third term. Uh, and here is Donald Trump at a Nevada rally, again, back in September of 2020. <laughs> And then after that, we'll go for another four years because, you know what, they spied on my campaign. We should get a redo of four years. So to be clear, this is September 2020 and the crowd saying four more years because if Trump had been reelected, it would have been his second term. But of course, it's what Trump adds after that. Then we'll do another four years. So have a third term. OK, Jack, I'm just going to jump right to a question that's probably popping in listeners' minds. That's already happened before, right? It, FDR? Yes, but there was a constitutional amendment, the 25th Amendment, saying you can't do that. <laughs> and so, so, so let's posit something here. The only way Trump avoids jail is to be in office. So suppose uh, he wins another term and it's closing days. He's already created a, an authoritarian 
apparat within the government. And he says, no, I'm not going to go. I'm going to I'm going to stay around and the uh, hell with the 25th Amendment. We're in a national emergency. And if there isn't one, he'll create one. Robert Kagan, I think uh, at the Brookings Institute, I think is struck right when he said, would he even obey a directive from the Supreme Court? You know, famously, Andrew Jackson, uh, he didn't say this, but it's in the history books, said about Chief Justice Marshall, uh, the court has spoken, now let them enforce it. <laughs> well, that, that, that has been the rule of law. If Trump is going to knock over all the other laws, this one, too, might fall. And it is not beyond the realm of, of the imaginable, because everything is imaginable with Trump, that he would simply blow through the 25th Amendment as he's done to so many other laws. Mm. Okay, folks. So to recap, what Jack went through today are some of the hallmarks of authoritarian leaders. And it, they were described in great detail in this pamphlet Jack told us about called The Authoritarian Playbook for 2025. And those hallmarks are authoritarians pardon their loyalists, they investigate their rivals, they deploy the military domestically, or they round up uh, people that the authoritarian does not want in the country. They don't leave office. They use the military again in order to stay in power, and they seek endless power, in this case, at least a third term, if not more. And the difference being that now Donald Trump is saying those things explicitly. So uh, here's what I want to know from all the jackpot fans here. I mean, do, do you agree with that? Do you see a pattern in Trump's uh, statements over the past year or so that make you think, yes, his aim is a kind of dictatorship in the United States or, or no? Do you not think that? I'm going to throw another question in here. It's one we started with. If you are a person who supports Donald Trump or if you have uh, family, family or friends who do, do you see this connection or do they see this connection that you might like Trump's policies, but you're also voting in a potential authoritarian? So, as always, if you want to let us know what you think, which I hope you do, do it via the On Point Vox Pop app. If you don't have it, go to your wherever you get your apps and look for On Point Vox Pop and send us your thoughts that way. So, Jack, when we come back, we're going to hear uh, what Jackpod listeners thought about last week's episode about character in American leaders. And they had a lot to say. So we'll listen to that in just a moment. Support for the On Point podcast comes from Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com onpoint. That's Indeed.com onpoint. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Support for On Point comes from BetterHelp. If you had an extra hour in the day, how would you use it? BetterHelp Online Therapy can help you figure out what's most important to you so you can prioritize it. Learn to make time for what makes you happy. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. And switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Visit BetterHelp.com OnPoint today to get 10% off your first month. Okay, we're back. And Jack... <laughs> 
I keep saying this, but it's going to be a weekly refrain. So many people had a response to to last week's jackpot when you talked about whether a character matters in a U.S. president anymore. So here's just a couple of thoughts from jackpot listeners. I believe good character is very important in a president or any politician for that matter, because without it, that politician will revert to any position he or she feels important to further his own cause. If we don't have morals in this country, what do we have? Policies won't mean a gosh darn thing. I'm of the opinion that uh, policy is more important than character. Policy can affect more people than, and, and can do more good or more bad than one individual's character. If the only options are the black and white question of character or policy, I would choose policy first. I think in politics, the policy are a window into a person's character. So interesting. Okay, so you just heard Mark Larson, Joyce Reardon, Ian Mitchell, and that last voice there, the view from Elkhart, Indiana, Howard Turner. So let's dig in a little bit more to some of what uh, what people thought, Jack. Here's Victoria Hudgens from Texas. I find that people with strong moral character are often the types of people who don't want to seek power. So when you find someone with that strong character who wants leadership, you need to prioritize helping them get there. I don't see how people can trust someone of poor character to be in politics, especially in the highest office in the nation. What do you think, Jack? Well, I'm, I'm, I, I agree with Victoria. I mean, I, I don't think you can trust them either unless they have some basis uh, of character. I don't mean they have to be, uh, you know, monks or uh, paladins of morality, but a certain, a, certain, a certain level of common decency, I think, is necessary. And honesty. You know, Donald Trump, according to the Washington Post, misspoke or lied, whatever, however you want to put it, about 30,000 times as president. There's nothing there except a kind of quicksand. If you try to trust him, you just disappear into it. And uh, on any measure of all of our presidents, there's no one to compare with that. No president has ever done anything like that. Lying, uh, you know, or misleading, misspeak, whatever the euphemism is, but basically lying 30,000 times. Mm. Well, Jack, though, let me reflect back on what uh, Ian and Howard said at the beginning of the, of the first little survey of listeners that we just played. I mean, both of them said, actually, when push comes to shove, policy is more important to them than character. I mean, Ian said it's because policies have far larger impact on people than an individual's character. And Howard said something really interesting, that in politics, he says, policies are a window into a person's character. So I'd love you to respond to those two. Well, I do see the distinction, and you raised it last week, too, in regard to Bill Clinton, between policy and character, and policy being something that affects everybody, Social Security, uh, you know, with Trump, uh, uh, you know, his tax cut or uh, whatever, or the things he wants to do with the military in the second term, those policies would affect many more people that directly than the example, his example. But I would, I would say this. Yes, you can't measure the effect of character as you can policy. But I think there is an effect, and I think it's insidious 
to look at that man every day does damage to the national self-esteem every day to to see him as the president and and I think we all felt this watching him we were we were watching what Senator Moynihan used to call defining deviancy down mm. you know it was just it could there's no bottom to what he would do take bleach you know what, whatever it was whether it was absurd or a lie or some uh, appalling defense, you know, self-defensive, you know, censuring, whatever it is, uh, we had to endure it. And I just think on the national morale, on the mirror of, you know, of, of, of national pride, that effect of Trump would be just as deleterious, though impalpable, impossible to measure, as his policies. Mm. Well, Jack, we've got one more here. This is Brad Pearl from Spokane, Washington. And he said that character might actually be the thing that gets him to vote in this election. I want character to matter more, and maybe it does. I could see myself voting for Haley because some of the Republican policies I like, and I think she would be a level-headed leader, whereas there's just no way I'm going to vote for Trump, even though some Republican policies would help me. Interesting, Jack. What do you think? I think that's one of Haley's uh, appeals. She she had eight years as a as a governor. As I'm I'm not aware that there were major uh, scandals. She had troubles, as all governors do, executives do, but she seemed to have navigated that without permanent uh, damage to her reputation. And you know she's had a, a, her biography speaks of somebody who's had to face uh, adversity, uh, prejudice against her for her ethnicity. Uh, and and that, that strengthens character, too. So I, I quite agree that in the character race and in the decency sweepstakes, mm. she's got Trump beat cold. Well, you know, uh, Brad, just speaking to you here for a moment, since you're in Washington state, who knows if Nikki Haley will still be in the race by the time uh, your primary comes around because the character difference didn't help her in um, Iowa or New Hampshire, which gets me to thinking that, uh, you know, as we've covered many, many times here, it is, in fact, Donald Trump's character, which many of his most fervent voter voters find most appealing about him. So with that thought, though, as always, Jack, thank you for another absolutely brilliant jackpot. Thank you very much. And by the way, Jackpot listeners, I also want, we also want to thank you as well because you have become a very important part of the weekly conversations we have here on the Jackpot. So keep them coming. That's it for this episode. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. This is the Jackpot on Point. <laughs>